Chapter One Rabelais of Visions and Revisions by John Cooper Powis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Rabelais. There are certain great writers who make their critics feel even as children, who picking up stray wreckage and broken shells from the edge of the sea waves return home to show their companions what the sea is like. The huge suggestiveness of this tremendous spirit is not easy to communicate in the space of a little essay, but something can be done, if it only take the form of modest advice to the reader. Is it a pity, one asks oneself, or is it a profound advantage, that enjoyment of Rabelais should be so limited? At least there are no false versions to demolish here, no idealizations to unmask. The reading of Rabelais is not easy to everyone, and perhaps to those for whom it is least easy, it would be most medicinal. What in this mad world do we lack, my dear friends? Is it possibly courage? Well, Rabelais is, of all writers, the one best able to give us that courage. If only we had courage, how the great tides of existence might sweep us along, and we not whine or wince at all. To read Rabelais is to gather, as if from the earth gods, spirit to endure anything. Naturally, he uses wine and every kind of wanton liquor to serve as symbols of the intoxication he would produce. For we must be rendered drunk to swallow life at this rate, to swallow it as the gods swallow it. We must be drunk but not mad, for in the spiritual drunkenness, that Rabelais produces, there is not the remotest touch of insanity. He is the sanest of all the great writers, perhaps the only sane one. What he has the power of communicating to us is a renewal of that physiological energy which alone makes it possible to enjoy this monstrous world. Other writers interpret things or warn us against things. Rabelais takes us by the hand, shows us the cup of life deep as eternity, and bids us drink and be satisfied. What else could he use, if not wine, as a symbol for such quenching of such thirst? And after wine, sex. There is no other who treats sex as Rabelais does, who treats it so completely as it ought to be treated. Walt Whitman is too obsessed by it, too grave over it. Rabelais enjoys it, fools with it, plunges into it, wallows in it, and then, with multitudinous laughter, shakes himself free and bids it go to the devil. The world will have to come to this, sooner or later, to the confusion of the vicious and the virtuous. The virtuous and the vicious play indeed into each other's hands, and neither of them love laughter. Sexual dalliance is either too serious a matter to be mocked by satyr laughter, or it is too sad and deplorable to be laughed at at all. In a few hundred years, surely, 
the human race will recognize its absolute right to make mock at the grotesque elements in the sex comedy and such laughter will clear the air of much virtue and much vice why is his first symbol of the large sane generous mood he bequeaths to us the focusing of the poetry of life and the glow and daring of it and its eternal youthfulness but it is more than a symbol it is a sacrament and an initiation it is the sap that rises in the world's recurrent spring it is the ichor the quintessence of the creative mystery it is the blood of the sons of the morning it is the dew upon the paradisic fields it is the red rose light upon the feet of those who dance upon graves wine is a sign to us how there is required a certain generous insane intoxication a certain large and equitable friendliness in dealing with people and things and ideas it is a sign that the earth calls aloud for the passionate dreamer it is a sign that the truth of truth is not in labour and sorrow but in joy and happiness it is a sign that gods and men have a right to satisfy their heart's desire with joy and pleasure and splendid freedom and just as he uses wine so he uses meat bread that strengthens man's heart and bologna sausages gammons of bacon or what you will else this also is a symbol and a sacrament and it is indeed more for one must remember that rabelais was a great doctor of medicine as well as of utopian theology and the stomach with the wise indulgence thereof is the final master of all arts let it be understood that in rabelais sex is treated with the same reverence and the same humour as meat and wine why not is not the body of man the temple of the holy ghost is it not sacrosanct and holy within and without and yet at the same time is it not a huge and palpable absurdity those who suffer most from rabelais manner of treating sex are incurably vicious the really evil libidinous people that is to say the spiteful the mean the base and inhuman fly from his presence and for the obvious reason that he makes sex pleasure so generous so gay so natural so legitimate that their dark morbid perverted natures can get no more joy out of it their lust their lechery is a cold dead saurian thing a thing with the gravity of a slow worm and when this great laughing and generous sage comes forth into the sunshine with his noble companies of amorous and happy people these shadow lovers these lute lovers these fleshy sentimentalists writhe in shame and seek refuge in a deeper darkness how strained and inhuman too and one might add how mad and irrelevant 
that high, cold, disdainful, translunar scorn with which the moral immoralism of Nietzsche scourges our poor flesh and blood. One turns with relief to Zarathustra after associating with pious people, but after Rabelais, even that terrific psychologist seems contorted and thin. For after all, it is generosity that we cry out for. Courage without generosity hugs its knees in hell. From the noble pleasures of meat and drink and sex, thus generously treated, we must turn to another aspect of Rabelais' work, his predilection for excrement. This also, though few would admit it, is a symbolic secret. This also is a path of initiation. In this peculiarity, Rabelais is completely alone among the writers of the earth. Others have, for various reasons, dabbled in this sort of thing. But none have ever piled it up, manure heap upon manure heap, until the animal refuse of the whole earth seems to reek to the stars. There is not the slightest reason to regret this thing, or to expurgate it. Rabelais is not Rabelais, just as life is not life without it. It is indeed the way of salvation for certain neurotic natures. Has that been properly understood? There are people who suffer frightfully, and they are often rare natures too, though they are sometimes very vicious. From their loathing of the excremental side of life, Swift was one of these. The disgusting in his writing is a pathological form, not at all unusual, of such a loathing. But Rabelais is no Dean Swift, nor is there the remotest resemblance between them. Rabelais may really save us from our loathing by the huge, all-embracing friendliness of his sense of humour. There are certain people, no doubt, who would prefer the grave enthusiasm of Whitman in regard to this matter to the freer Rabelaisian touch. I cannot say that my personal experience agrees with this view. I have found both men invaluable, but I think as far as dealing with the cloaca maxima side of things is concerned, Rabelais has been the braver in inspiration. In these little matters, one can only say, some are born Rabelaisian and some require to have Rabelais thrust upon them. Surely it is wisdom in us terrestrial mortals to make what imaginative use we can of every phase of our earthly condition. Imagination has a right to play with everything that exists, and humour has a right to laugh at everything that exists. Everything in life is sacred, and everything is a huge jest. It is the association of this excremental aspect of life with those high sacraments of meat and drink and sex which some find so hard to endure. Be not afraid, my little ones. The great and numerous gods 
have arranged for this also, and have seen to it that no brave, generous, amorous, sunburnt emotion shall ever be hurt by such associations. If a person is hurt by them, that is only an indication that they are in grievous need of the wholesome, purgative medicine of the great doctor. When one comes to speak of the actual contents of these books, criticism itself must borrow Gargantua's mouth. What characters! The three great royal giants, Graugosia, Gargantua, and Pantagruel, have there ever been such kings? And the noble servants of such noble masters, the whole atmosphere is so large, so genial, so courteous, so sweet-tempered, so entirely what the life of man upon earth should be. Even the military exploits of Friar John, even the knavish tricks of Panurge, cannot spoil our tenderness for these dear bully boys, these mellow and magnanimous rogues. Certain paragraphs in Rabelais recur to one's mind daily. That laudation of Socrates at the beginning and the description of the little boxes called silent, that outside have so grotesque an adornment, but within are full of ambergris and myrrh and all manner of precious odours. In the picture of the banquet, when they fell to the chat of the afternoon's collation, and began great goblets to ring, great bowls to ting, great gammons to trot, pour me out the fair Greek wine, the extravagant wine, the good wine, lacrima Christi, supernaculum, and, above all, the most holy abbey of Thalama, over the gate of which was written the words that are never far from the heart of wise utopian Christians, the profound words, the philosophical words, the most shrewd, cabalistic words, and the words that lovers alone can understand. Feque se voudrai, do as thou wilt. Little they know of Rabelais, who call him a lewd buffoon, the profanest of mountebanks. He was one of those rare spirits that redeem humanity. To open his book, though the steam of the grossness of it rises to heaven, is to touch the divine fingers, the fingers that heal the world. How that style of his, that great oceanic avalanche of learning and piety and obscenity, and gigantic merriment smells of the honest earth. How with all his huge scholarship he loves to depend for his richest, most human effects upon his own peasant people of terrain. The proverbs of the countryside, the wisdom of tavern wit, the shrewdness and fantasy of old wives' tales, the sly earthly humours of farmers and vine-tenders, and goat-herds and goose-girls. These are things out of which he distills his vision, his oracles, his courage. There is also, who could help observe it, a certain large and patriarchal homeliness, 
a kind of royal domesticity about much that he writes those touches as when gargantua his little dog in advance enters the dining hall when they are discussing panurge's marriage and they all rise to do him honour as when gargantua bids pantagruel farewell and gives him a benediction so wise and tender remains in the mind like certain passages in the bible these are the things that aesthetic fools with varnished faces easily overlook and misunderstand but good simple folks honest cards as rabelais would say are struck to the heart by them how proud the man might be who in the turmoil of this troublesome world and beneath the mystery of le grand putetra could answer to the ultimate question i am a christian of the faith of rabelais such a one under the spell of such a master might indeed be able to comfort the sick and sorry and to whisper in their ears that cosmic secret bon espoir et au fond good hope lies at the bottom good hope for all for the best and the worst for the whole miserable welter of this chaotic farce therefore with angels and archangels let us bow our heads and hold our tongues those who fancy rabelais to be lacking in the kind of religious feeling that great souls respect let them read that passage in the voyage of pantagruel that speaks of the death of pan various accounts are given various explanations made of the great cry that the sailors coming from paloda heard over land and sea at the last pantagruel himself speaks and he tells them that to him it refers to nothing less than the death of him whom the scribes and the pharisees and priests of jerusalem slew and well as he called pan which in the greek means all for in him is all we are or have or hope and having said this he fell into silence and tears large as ostrich eggs rolled down his cheeks to all who read rabelais and love him one can offer no better wish than that the mystic wine of his holy bottle may fulfil heart's desire happy indeed those who are not unwillingly drawn by the fate we all must follow go now my friends says the strange priestess and may that circle whose centre is everywhere and its circumference nowhere keep you in his almighty protection end of chapter one